0: If you would open your Bibles to the book of Esther. I hope by this point it's getting easier to find that little book. Sometimes that can be a little tough. Uh, I don't see the page number. Does somebody have it? 486. We're going to be starting at Verse 9, and we're actually going to be going through uh, chapter 6. And Haman went out that day, joyful and glad of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. And he sent and brought his friends and his wife Zeresh, And Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, all the promotions with which the king had honored him, and how he had advanced him above the officials and the servants of the king. Then Haman said, Even Queen Esther, let let no one but me come with the king to the feast she uh, prepared, and tomorrow I am also invited by her uh, together with the king." Yet all this is is worth nothing to me so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, Let a gallows fifty cubits high be made, and in the morning tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it. Then go joyfully with the king to the feast. This idea pleased Haman, and he had the gallows made. On that night, the king could not sleep, and he gave orders to bring the books of the memorable deeds, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written how Mordecai had told about Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold and who had sought to lay hands on King Xerxes. And the king said, what honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? "'Whom would the king delight to honor more than me?' And Haman said to the king, "'For the man whom the king delights to honor, "'let royal robes be brought, um, which the king has worn, "'and and the horse that the king has ridden, "'and on whose head a royal crown is set. "'And let the robes and the horse be handed over "'to one of the king's most noble officials. "'Let them dress the the man whom the king delights to honor.'" And let him lead him on a horse through the squares of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then the king said to Haman, Hurry, take the robes and the horse as you have said, and do so to Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Leave out nothing that you have mentioned. So Haman took the robes and the horse, and he dressed Mordecai and led him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate. But Haman hurried to his house, mourning and with his head covered. And Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened to him. Then his wise men and his wife Zeresh said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, um, is of Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but you will surely fall before him. Texas rancher met up with a UP dairyman. The two men began talking about their land, and the dairy farmer told the cattleman that he operated his business on 125 acres. The Texan scoffed at such a small parcel of land, and he says, Yankee, that ain't nothing. On my ranch, I can get in my truck at sunrise, and I won't reach the fence on the other side of my property until sunset. The dairy farmer snorted, yeah, I used to have a Chevy truck like that. (laughs) Preacher found a shoebox in his wife's closet. When he opened it, never look in your wife's closet at what's in there, okay, men. Preacher found a shoebox in his wife's closet. When he opened it, he found some strange contents. Inside was an egg carton with five eggs. Next to the eggs was a stack of money, over $10,000 dollars. As soon as his wife walked through the door, he stopped her and, and asked her if she knew what was going on, what, what was in that shoebox, why, why she was doing that. Yes, dear. Yeah, it's mine, she goes. Um, after we got married, I decided that, ever, that after every sermon you preached, if it was a bad one, I would put an egg in the egg carton. Preacher thought with pride about all the years they had been married, and there was only five eggs. In that egg carton. But honey, what about the $10,000? Oh well, every time I got a dozen eggs, I sold them. (laughs) That must have hurt a little bit. (laughs) Oh, that little sin called pride. Little pride, it seems so harmless. Often it creeps into your life and you're not even aware of it. You don't even see it. Getting planted there until it begins to grow and and as it starts to reproduce, it leads to other sins, and it so quickly can lead you from the Lord. C.S. Lewis once said about this about pride there is one vice in which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in somebody else, and of which hardly anybody except Christians ever imagine that they are guilty of themselves. It's not something we normally recognize in ourselves. Listen to what Solomon had to say about pride: Proverbs fifteen twenty five, the Lord tears down the house of the proud. Proverbs sixteen eighteen, pride goeth before destruction. Or James four six, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Actually, the sin of pride it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. In a nutshell. What was uh, the sin of Adam and Eve? Well, it was was unbelief, for sure, and it was rebellion, but I, I think you could also say that it was pride, plain and simple. The very pride that we see in the devil that caused him to fall as well. One Christian writer observed, Pride is so subtle that if we aren't careful, we'll be proud of our humility. It's so subtle we'll be proud of our humility. When this happens, our goodness becomes badness, our virtues become vices. We can easily become like the Sunday school teacher who, having told the story of the Pharisee and the, the publican, said, Children, let's bow our heads and thank God that we are not like the Pharisee. The sin called pride, it's clearly something I think you can see in our text this morning. You can see in, 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 in Haman, and it just seems to ooze from him. Last time we saw Esther and Mordecai's trust in the Lord, their willingness to fast and pray for three days before the queen asked the, uh, the king to um, come to her banquet. Not only the, the king, but also Haman. And then it also enabled Esther to wait another day before actually passing on that burden that was on her heart. She could have easily just said, well, the time is ripe. Here he is. I'm going to take advantage of it. But no, she felt the Spirit leading her to wait just a little bit longer. The only way you can wait like that is by trusting in the Lord. And after the first banquet was over, you can just imagine how puffed up Haman Haman was. I bet he was on top of the world He's the only one that got to dine with the king and the queen, queen, and I bet he thought he was something. And now at the end of dinner, he even got asked to come back the next day again. You can just see him smiling and trying not to jump up and down. He's probably thinking, man, I'm happening now. Finally, people around here, they're, they're, they're starting to see my worth, that I really am Something. I can almost hear Haman humming that old Persian song. Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. Can't you almost hear him singing that? Haman is loving all this, especially everyone bowing down to him. You better believe all this was feeding his, his ego. But when he gets to the palace gate, who's standing there but Mordecai. And Mordecai is not afraid. He doesn't bow before, before Haman. He's not intimidated. He's not in awe at, at, at Haman's greatness. And suddenly Haman's good day, it comes crashing down. Haman's furious, but he rest- restrains himself at least until he gets home. And then how does he handle it? This struggle that he's feeling inside. Well, he handles it by bragging. He brags to his wife and to his friends. I mean, they know all this, but he had to brag again. But everything that he has, his sons, his wealth, the, the way the king has honored him and elevated him above all the other nobles and the officials. Haman adds in verse 12, I'm the only person that was invited to Queen Esther's banquet other than the king, and I've been invited again tomorrow. You would have thought Haman would would have really been content. It really didn't matter what other people did or what they thought, but ah, oh, he was appreciated by the king. You would have thought he'd be content in that, but he wasn't. He felt like Haman was standing in the way. And you could just hear him, you know, to his, his wife and his friends, just sniveling, maybe even doing that lip-sucking thing that little kids do. You know, I, I'm sure he was, you know, because he was so sad that He was so sad that Mordecai was still alive. I think it's safe to say that Haman saw Mordecai as a threat to his happiness. You would have thought he'd be content to just wait 11 months, and his problem with Mordecai would be over when all the Jews were annihilated, but he couldn't wait that long. In his mind, Mordecai had to die, and he had to die soon. Otherwise, he couldn't be happy. You know, when you think about it, pride is really something that we all struggle with at times as well. It blinds us from seeing ourselves, and it creates in us selfishness, self-centeredness, narcissism. We could go on and on. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, Boasting and pride hinders us from being able to see God and and also being able to see others. Rather than depending on God for our self-worth, depending on Him to be our all in all. We look to others to build us up. We look to our possessions to build us up, to our jobs, anything to make us feel like we have worth. Instead of loving our neighbors as ourselves, our neighbors are seen as either a threat or as a means to our becoming happy. That's why we've been warned in Proverbs 16.5 that everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, that person will not go unpunished. You know, whenever the Bible talks about pride, it's pretty serious. It's not like God says, oh, yeah, that's no good, but hmm, what can he do? Or what can she do? No, it's something that God hates. And when he sees evidence of pride in our lives, he will go to great lengths. To uproot that 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 sin in our hearts, and he does it not because he hates you; he does it out of out of love for you. So Mordecai or Haman puts together a plan, and he instructs his servants to begin building a gallows. Now, right away, when we think of gallows, we think of a Western and somebody swinging on the gallows until they're dead. That's not what they did back then. You might remember from one of the earlier messages on Esther. It was a big, long, pointed pole. And so what Mordecai planned was is to uh, put Haman, uh, Mordecai, I mean, Haman planned to put Mordecai on this big, long, sharp pole and stick him up in the air 75 feet next to his house so that everyone saw Mordecai on that pole and they would be warned, you better Bow when you come into my presence, you better honor me, because I deserve it. Again, his pride is just so over the top, he he just can't even see what he's doing. I think this is where the story really starts to uh, get kind of interesting. And we start seeing, you could call it coincidences, but we obviously know it's not, because as we said, even though God's name is not mentioned in this book, Yet we see his fingerprints everywhere, on all the pages, bringing everything to its appointed end. And we see this especially now. Um, that King Xerxes couldn't sleep that night. Do you think it was uh, by chance? No, I think God was, was keeping him awake. Rather than asking that Queen Esther come to his chambers, or maybe one of his concubines, or maybe for a warm glass of I don't know, yak milk or whatever they drink back then. He asked the, for the official records. I, I guess he figures that maybe as one of his servants starts reading those records, it'll put him to sleep. Only problem was his servants opened the book right to the very part where Mordecai saves the king's life. Again, coincidence? No way. And so when the king asked what had been done to show Mordecai his gratitude, the king was told, Nothing had been done yet. And so he asked if any of his advisors or high officials were, were in the palace. And guess who just happened to be there? Who was there because he wanted to wake the king up and, and ask him if he could kill Mordecai? Good timing, but yeah, I bet he was surprised. And so the, the, the king invites him into his chambers, and, and he says to uh, Mordecai, He goes, uh, what should I do to the one that the king honors and the king loves and appreciates? Again, is it coincidence? No. Well, Haman, he thinks that uh, Mordecai is, I mean, the the king is talking about himself. And so now with his quick reply, you can tell that Haman has put some thought into this, hasn't he? And so he tells the king, yeah, I want to wear... The king's clothes, I want to wear his crown, I want to ride on a pony and be in a parade. All those things. (laughs) I'm being a little sarcastic, I'm sorry. But, (laughs) and the king likes his idea and he says, that's wonderful. Everything you just said, do it. Do it to Mordecai. And I bet, I bet Haman, his mouth was just open. Wouldn't you like to have been a fly on a wall and seen the look on his face? when he realized what, who the king was talking about. And because, because Haman was there, he says, I want you to be that person. You be my representative. Be my representative and, and honor and honor Mordecai. I'm sure he wasn't impressed. As he does all these things for uh, Mordecai, as the, king, as the king had said, it hurt his ego. I'm sure, as he led Mordecai around the, the city streets. That night, after he goes home with his head covered, he was so ashamed, he couldn't believe that he had a stoop so low to do something like this. You can just hear him again, sniveling again, as he tells his friend and his family the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day that he just had. But listen to the response they give it to him this time. Before, just a little while ago, they says, Yeah, kill Mordecai. I mean, you know, impale him on a on a stake. But now suddenly it, it changed completely, and they're telling him, ah, it's gonna be nothing but trouble if you start messing with, with a Jew. It'll it'll never end well. I mean, why didn't they tell him that the day before? They knew that Haman didn't want to hear that and said, you will come to ruin. And they were, at, they were right, really. But they were right not because of, of, of Mordecai's Jewishness. They were right because of Mordecai's God. Because he was mighty and powerful and sovereign and holding all things in the palm of his hand. So you have this one example of, of someone who is so prideful. And then you have another example of, of someone who is humble before the Lord. And that's Mordecai. Despite the great reward, the great honor that was bestowed upon him, we don't see him lording it over Haman. We don't see him trying to make a dig into Haman, even though it's obvious that he he did not care for, for Haman. But it appears, according to our story, that he didn't say a word. He didn't say anything. And after all this... Was done. Probably took most of the day to go through the entire city. What do we find Mordecai doing? He went back to the gate where he was on guard duty. Doesn't seem to have phased him. He could have demanded of the king, King, I, I can't stand at the gate anymore. Look at what I've done for you. I need a place that's a little bit more prestigious. I, what else can I do in, in, in your kingdom? He didn't say any of that. But he humbly went back to the gate. Where I'm sure he continued his fast, praying that the Lord would intervene on behalf of the Jewish people. That's what the Bible says about the humble, that if we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, that he will lift us up, that he will honor us, that he will bless us. What a contrast between Haman and Mordecai. You know, when I see the humility in Mordecai, it reminds me of the humility that we see that was characterized and found its fulfillment really in, in Jesus. Because he truly was humble in all that he did. Listen to Jesus' own words in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. This is one that I know you know. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Scripture tells us that Jesus humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. And because he humbled himself, because he became a servant, he won our salvation. He gave us the gift of eternal life. We don't have to wonder where we're going to spend eternity one day those of you who are in Christ, but you know that you have a home. And it's all because of Jesus. And so let me ask you, how's your spiritual health this morning? Is there pride in your heart? Is it keeping you from trusting Jesus? From looking to Him? Is it keeping you from seeing others as image bearers of God and not somebody to serve you, make you feel better about yourself? How about your prayer life? Is pride keeping you from coming before the Father in prayer? Or is pride keeping you from sharing your needs with others in our church body so that others might be praying for you so that you're not standing there alone? This morning we all need to confess our pride and our self-sufficiency And allow Christ to come and make us whiter than snow. And take away our sins so that we can walk in the freedom of of Jesus. See, Christ loves you too much to just ignore your sin. But he's going to deal with it. And he deals with it because he loves you. And he wants the best for you. And he knows that as long as that pride is sitting in your heart, you're never going to grow closer to him. That pride will always separate you from him. God's timing is always the best, not a minute too soon or a minute too late. You know, we might wonder sometimes why He delays. But at times like that, we need to just remember that we need to put our trust in Him. Just like Esther and Mordecai did. You know, while our enemies may appear to have the upper hand at times, and while our enemies may gloat over your pain and your suffering, yet you don't have to ever fear because our God is with us and our god is strong and mighty and our god is at work and he's doing things you can't even begin to dream of and we just need to trust in him if you ever listen to an orchestra piece composed by one of the what, some of the greats like mozart or or bach or handel they they utilize a, a number of different instruments Playing several different these instruments played several different parts, and if you listen to just one part by itself, it it always does, it doesn't always sound so great. It might just be an oboe, or it might just be another instrument, and you think, "Wow, does that really fit?" But then all of a sudden, you see why they are masters, because all those little pieces. They all start to fit together until suddenly there's this huge ending where it all comes together and blends and you just marvel at how that piece came together like that. The beauty of of the music. That's what God is doing in our lives, isn't he? Sometimes we may wonder, wow, that doesn't sound so good. The music I hear coming from my, my life, it doesn't sound so good. Or from somebody else's life. But what we forget is God is at work. God is moving. And one day he's going to bring all those pieces together and we're going to see such beauty. A masterpiece. As all the parts fit together and and plays the most beautiful melody. And so we just need to be patient as we wait for the Lord. Hebrews 6.10 tells us that God is not unjust to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name's sake. He sees it. He sees all the good you have done. Don't think he's forgotten it. He remembers it, and one day he's going to reward you for it. You have to remain faithful. Psalm 56, verse 8, says that God keeps track of all your tears, which he places in a bottle. What beautiful imagery. But God remembers every one of your tears, all your pain, all your sorrow, And God will turn it to blessing if we're willing to surrender it to Him. If we're willing to walk by the way of the cross, to walk in Jesus. Next time we will see how God's plan comes together so perfectly. Again, like that classical piece of music. All these seemingly unconnected parts, they they suddenly... Come together, and we see God's plan, and you just have to step back and marvel at it. But for the moment, I encourage all of you to find rest for your souls in the humble and gentle heart of our Savior Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your your great love for us. Thank you for not treating us as our sins deserve. And Father, each of us, we confess our pride before you this morning, Lord, how we try to place ourselves at times on your throne even. Lord, when we look at others as a means to our happiness, rather than vice versa, being servants, humbling ourselves before those around us. Lord, thank you for the example of, of Mordecai and Esther. Thank you for the example of Jesus especially. Lord, how he humbled himself and became a servant and gave his life for our sins. Father may we truly live our lives in gratitude to you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be